Welcome to Noble with Jason Noble, the podcast where we talk about HR and career issues. I'm your host, Jason Noble. We're here to share funny and interesting stories and advice in a transparent and down-to-earth approach. Hi there, and welcome to the Noble Podcast. I'm your host, Jason. Do you remember that first time when you were asked to be a people leader? Or maybe you're still early in your career and want that chance. Well, going from an individual contributor to a people leader is a big shift. It's not like flicking on a light switch. There are different personalities to manage all while trying to get work done. It's normal to feel uncertain. So today we're talking with Steve Jeffries, the founder of Make Your Shift. Steve helps people navigate the shift from manager to leader in a way that's right for them and their organization, setting them up for success in the process. Steve left a career in advertising agencies in 2021 to start his own coaching practice supporting new leaders at the point they need it most. When they first make that shift into their new position, where the move from control to influence will define the rest of their careers. Steve, welcome to the Noble Podcast. Thank you very much, Jason, and thanks for that banging intro as well. Very nice. Sounds quite impressive when you hear it back. Yeah, well, that's where I make the big money. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me on. In all seriousness, it's great to be here. Yeah, I appreciate your time. So uh, so let's start off. Given your previous career in advertising, what led you to focus on leadership coaching? Yeah, it's a a good question. Um, I think what I discovered was if you're going to do something well, it's got to come from a really passionate place. And when I was working in that industry, I had a great time and it was amazing, really good. I worked with some big brands, big agencies. But the thing which really fired me up more than anything else was seeing either my own people succeed or people succeed after they were working with me. And that's what gave me the the biggest kick of all. Um, So that's what led me to go into that space and and want to help people and really max out my own strengths in in being able to do that. And then the, the second part or second answer rather to that question is I'm a firm believer that you learn the most in the career, in your career through the bits that have hit you hardest. And the bit that hit me hardest was when I was going into leadership positions for the first time. And, you know, it's not something that you can necessarily prepare yourself for. And I think that was a big motivator for me to want to coach from a point of credibility, if you like, as in if I'm going to talk to people about how I can help them and how I can help them to unlock new things in what they do, I want to have that sense of, right, I've been there, I've done that, I've got the T-shirt, I've learned those hard lessons along the way. And that was very important to me um, as I was thinking that through. And I think the other thing was I wanted to go into something where I could have a definitive impact. Um, I like clean lines, I like certainty, I like clarity. And the reason why I built my business and my brand in the way that I have is, uh, you know, shift is something that's it's purposeful, it's impactful. You know, I've, I've, you know, I've just smacked my fist there because it's something which is very you know, definitive. And I wanted to tap into that. And, and that was something very important to me. So hopefully the, the proof of the pudding is, is in the eating for my clients. So let's, um, let's talk a little bit about your, um, you mentioned, so first time you went into leadership, it kind of hit you the hardest. I remember when I went into uh, being a leader for the first time, I was like, I was nervous. It was, you know, I was thinking, well, can I do this? 
can I manage people? Are people going to, are my, you know, the people that, uh, on my team, are they going to like me? Am I going to be able to do a good job? Is that the same sort of doubts or feelings that, that you had as well? Yeah, absolutely. It was, I think I, I came into it, I think feeling like I had to be all things to all people. And, and I think that was the hardest thing. And I never properly got over that, um, until, you know, I learned the hard way really. Um, I think, you know, some of the, the greatest challenges facing new leaders are knowing themselves really, really well. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, not, not just knowing who you are, but knowing how you behave, what conditions you really thrive under, what really grinds your gears that you don't really like, the ways in which you come across, all sorts of things like that. So a sense of self-awareness that, um, you know, of, of yourself and, you know, celebrating your own brilliance at certain things, but also staring the hard things in the face and saying, you know what, I'm rubbish at that. I'm never going to be any good at that and working out a way to, to compensate for it as well. Um, and I think um, the other thing that comes to mind as I'm, I'm thinking about that is, you know, I'm reminded of the, the Marshall Goldsmith book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And I think every single new leader should tap into that and realize, okay, you might have been lauded up to a certain point, but taking it on to the next stage is, is not going to be as, as easy or as plain sailing. Yeah, uh, I, I remember, um, so I became a people leader around the same time I had my first uh, child. And, you know, the first year is easy because baby, you can, baby can do whatever you tell it to do, right? <laughs> but then you hit the terrible twos and all of a sudden you hear no, 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 when you try and tell your child what to do. And the same sort of thing with people is you have to approach in a certain way in order to you know, get people to respond in the way you want. It's not just telling people, it's working with people in, um, in a way that I guess helps both of you become successful and like, exactly. yeah, and, and you got to do it in a way that you're likable. So moving on to that. So what, what would you describe, um, as the greatest challenges facing new leaders and why are they so critical? Greatest challenges. I think the first one, and you've hinted at it there really, is the you kind of avoiding the Superman complex. So avoiding that sense that you've got to come in and you've got to be the solver of all things. You've got to be the best person at all things. You've got to be, you know, proving your worth, worth proving your value, proving that you can do it, proving really that you should be in the position that you are. I think that's probably one of the, the, the biggest challenges um, that, just because you are now seen as a leader within a business or, or, or on a team, you don't have to have all those answers. And, you know, it depends on personalities as well. I think that's quite a hard thing to, to grasp. And I think that's part ego and part naivety, really, because ego from the point of view, you know, you're, as I've said earlier, you're, you're lauded for being really good at what you do and you've been promoted on the back of some stellar performance or, or what have you. And then all of a sudden you come in and, okay, you've got a bigger paycheck, you've got a bigger team to lead, all of a sudden you've got to do all those things that you did really, really well, but on a much bigger scale and do it more. And that sense that, you know, you, you have to do that. And I think that's a really big challenge to overcome and a, and a very difficult one to break down. And one that is, I, I don't know, I, I don't know the answer to this, but it's just coming to my head that 
I don't know if it's something you have to figure out yourself or you need a very good mentor or a very good person side by side with you who can help you to see those truths in, in, in the face and help you to answer those questions. So I think that's, I'd say, probably the, the biggest one um, to, to take on. In terms of, of, of others, I think it is learning to listen first. And I say that because it's very easy just to jump in and want to solve everything. And listening first and almost fighting the instinct just to jump in is really, really important. You know, I say that now with a coach's hat on because I've I've been taught in inverted commas to listen properly or all different levels of listening. But it's true, you can you can get so much by what someone says, how they say it, what their body language is like, the environment they're in, all sorts of different things. And you've got to really tune into that and, and listen to it because you can often get some answers that you would not uh, not otherwise be open to. And um, I think that is certainly a challenge that people, I certainly fell foul of it myself, listening well and taking the time to really listen and to pause as well and think, right, okay, I've heard all of that, not just jumping in and saying, right, yeah, know what we need to do, but no, right, I'm going to reflect on that. I'm going to look again and then I'm going to go again. You know, I remember, um, so when I was promoted, it was at a big company, um, yet there was no support, no internal, no external support to be able to help guide me along the path to be a successful manager. And, and I've seen this uh, both in myself and other people is usually people go one of two ways. You either want to be likable to your team because, you know, you want to be the one that everyone wants to work for and root behind and you want to you want to get some early success. Or the other thing I've seen people do is, you know, not necessarily in, in a, a negative approach, but, you know, lay down the hammer and basically go to get stuff done. So you're seen as either like really efficient. Your team is working to get stuff done as quickly and efficiently as possible. And that may not be the same as being likable. And I wish my younger self had that support from someone like yourself, mm. uh, again, either internal or external to, to guide me towards being a better manager. So um, what would you say to new leaders to help them be successful? I would say be open to absolutely everything. So don't close anything off. And by that, I mean, listen to influence from outside, talk to people that have been there before understand this talk to the listening point I was mentioning earlier, understand what's going on under the surface. Be open to every single input that you can and give yourself the best possible canvas to make good decisions. I think that's probably the, the first thing I'd say. Second thing that comes to mind is just invest in relationships all across the board and don't put pressure on yourself to get those done and, and nailed. Um, give them time to breathe, give them time to develop, give them time to you know get feedback on how you approach certain things. I think the, the more time and effort you put into building relationships with people above you, people below you, peers of yours, even people that you don't necessarily have direct um, time with is crucial because Firstly, I think that helps you to really understand yourself, 
really well and understand how you're heard and, and how you're perceived. And secondly, you know, it's building your profile by stealth. You know, you don't have to have these big firework moments where you, you're going out and proving your worth, but actually you're building from the ground up. And that's really, really important because when, when stuff goes bad, as it does, stuff goes wrong, um, you want to be able to rely on that relationship equity to give you a canvas to work on. And um, I think that is crucially, crucially important to, to have. Um, the other thing I think I'd, I think I'd say is just trust your gut. Learn what that's saying to you. And that could be for better or worse. So if you really feel like there's something that needs to change and, you've again, you've, you've heard certain things, you think, well, actually, this is the right thing to do, the chances are it's the right thing to do. But equally, if you think that something doesn't feel right and, again, you've kind of heard what people have to say and things like that and you're being not necessarily forced but being led down a certain path but you know it's not right listen to that because again it's quite right I think intuition is is something certainly from my point of view I learned to trust in quite a lot you know it's not all it's not always always right it's not completely fail safe but largely it will be a good bellwether for the types of decisions you have to make for better or worse yeah absolutely your earlier point about uh, building relationships um you know when I when I was in the working world like just Sitting down, having coffees, um, something as simple as that worked really well. And, you know, that that should never go away. Uh, and it's this is not rocket science stuff, but it's always a good reminder to people. Um, and it, even virtually, it's just simply as, you know, reaching out and just saying, like, me to you, hey, Steve, you know, how's it going? Anything I can help you with? Um, you know, investing time with finding out about someone's personal life. So that, that way you can build a connection, find common interest, that sort of thing. So I absolutely agree with you on that. Um, what have you found in terms of yourself or even through, um, I guess, through your whole coaching experience? How do you get the most from your team when you got a collection of people, different personalities? Yeah, how do you get the most from your team? I think, first of all, it is kind of understanding and having a firm idea of I guess, what's the best way to term this? Which people like information certain ways and being able to cater to that in a, in a sensitive way, um, number one, I think, because what motivates someone is a complete turn off for someone else. And you can't always get that right. And I think, again, that comes down to the, the stealth with which you build those relationships. You've kind of got to be able to package certain pieces of information in, in certain ways. Um, what sits above all of that, though, I think, is you've just got to build and maintain a vision of what it is you're trying to do. And that doesn't have to be this really, really lofty thing. But, for example, it could be, do you know what? We're a team of 10 people here. Our job is to do X, Y and Z. And our job is to be the best team in this company at being able to do this. That's what we are going to be known for. Obviously, I'm using that as an example. But I think the key thing is just to ensure that regardless of the way in which people are best motivated or anything like that, that they're all lined up behind the same vision. And you set that and ensure that people are able to question it, interrogate it, ask questions about it, see what their role is in it. But also that in as many meetings or one-to-ones that you have or, or whatever it might be, that you keep hammering that message home. And it doesn't have to be you know, a reminder each and every time. It might be as 
you know, circumspect is having it written or people having it written on their pad or you have it written on the whiteboard when you come into a room or it's at the head of every PowerPoint deck that you have or it's at the top of every spreadsheet, whatever it is. Having that as a, as a reminder of, of what's going on, I think, helps to both keep people on point, again, regardless of who they are, how they receive things, what their personalities are, but also helps to subtly reinforce what your role is there to do. And that is to help them to be the best possible people that they can be. Um, and that you're there to facilitate that for them. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I think that would be, I hope I've answered that question there, but um, that would be, I think, the secret source to do things right. And it's going to work in different ways for different people. So what were uh, some of the biggest lessons you learned in your career? Oh, that's a good one. Um, biggest lessons I learned. I think firstly would be that you don't you do your most impactful work in the background. It's not when you are leading a town hall meeting. It's not when you are doing the best presentation ever. It is in doing the groundwork on things and setting things up for success from the ground up. I think that would be the first thing that comes to mind and certainly one of the most rewarding things as well, because if you can see that the reason why something has succeeded so well, because you've invested in it, that's, that's really, really important. So what would like uh, impactful work? So can you give me an example? What, what would that look like? Impactful work. I think that would be, for example, I'm going to t talk to the world I used to be in. Um, that will be building a really strong, trusted relationship with a client, not just a single client, but a client organization, which in the marketing and advertising world, it's a tough thing to do. You can just as well win trust one day, but then lose it the next by doing something completely daft. I'm sure that translates to many industries. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, where that example comes home to roost, I think, is in, you know, if you supported other people to build those relationships with clients in a credible way so that they are doing what you are suggesting that they do within your own team, but on a larger context with clients, that's really, really important. That doesn't need a loud voice. That doesn't need a you know, a, a big statement or anything like that. And that needs a good investment of time, a good Im investment of emotional intelligence, um, a good investment of packaging up certain information in certain ways. So that's the kind of thing that I mean. Uh, and so when I was a people leader, uh, you know, two common, sorry, two common problems I faced yeah. were uh, resolving conflicts between people and managing changing priorities. So, you know, conflicts, whether people on the same team or working on a project, so people on different teams. And then there was always, always the issue of, you know, the boss coming over and saying, hey, look, I know I asked you to do ABC. Well, you know, we have to, we have to get rid of B and C right now. They're not a priority. I need you to do mm. A and D. Um, what's some advice you have to manage these? I'm going to take your second one first, actually, um, which is the, uh, the managing priorities one. Um, and I think I guess there's two there's two bits to that. So the first bit is kind of getting yourself on side with, right, this has changed and getting yourself to be calm and reflective and, and on board with that. And second, then, it is trying to get everyone else on board with it as well. And I think the quickest and, and you know, down and dirty way in which you can do it, or certainly way in which I do things, is just do a quick kind of four-by-four four matrix where you've got, you know, an x-axis, which is important, not important, a y-axis, which is urgent, not urgent, and all sorts of things like that, where you can just plot on, to use your example there, the three things that are on there, and if one has trumped the other, 
And then if you can plot those out and either have a conversation to validate it or kind of understand, right, actually, this is the right thing to do, then A, you can square that in your own head and B, you've then got a rational basis through which you can transmit and get other people on board as well. So I think for me, and it might just be because I'm a very visual person in, in the way that I think, seeing something on a piece of paper which says how those priorities have changed and why and there's a rationale behind it can save you a heck of a lot of work. So I think that's a that's a really good way to do it. And it doesn't need any, anything fancy necessarily. You can just have a piece of paper to do it. So that's the, the first thing I'd say. Um, your second question was around resolving conflicts between people. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And I think that one, and I, you know, I wish I'd have taken this advice myself, to be honest with you, which is just whatever the conflict is, get it nipped in the bud and get it nipped in the bud early. Now, whether that is um, talking to particular people, you know, if, if two people have got a problem and, and, and they need to sort it out, get those two in a room, or if it is there's disagreements within the team, get it out in the open. Not in a, um, you know, an aggressive way, but just talk it through. Get it talked about. What you don't want to have is people disappearing off and whispering in corners. You don't want to have people going off into meeting rooms and things like that. I've seen that. It's horrible. I've been party to that. I've probably even been part of doing that myself as well. It's not good, whichever side of the coin you're on. The best thing you can do is just swallow any kind of hurting people's feelings or anything like that and just have that trusted space where you can have that open and honest conversation. That said, I think that can only really work if you've got that trusted relationship in, in the first place. So I think that would be the first thing. Um, and then within that, I think you've just got to give people the opportunity to have their say um, let people get things off their chest. Let people process things emotionally before they can get into the rational side of things. Get people to listen to what other people's perspectives are and just kind of see it work its way through. And I think the leader's job is to be the facilitator of that without necessarily having to, to have the answer. Just getting the right people in the room to have the right level of conversation to be able to unblock stuff. Um, and if you do that, um, I think, nine times out of 10, you're going to come out in a better position than you were in, or you're going to have at least half of the solution and, and half of the way forward worked out for you. And then what about that 10th time? <laughs> it well, doesn't work. Time, yeah, it doesn't always work. I guess that's <laughs> there's so many variables in there because it could be some really yeah. good personalities, in which case you go again and you think, yeah. right, okay, yeah. landscape's changed and you move on. But yeah. yes, I, yeah. I thought you might yeah, ask you may you may have to run interference on that one, unfortunately. Oh, in order absolutely. to solve the problem, yeah. who knows, right? <laughs> absolutely. Um, I feel like I'm right, right so back in that situation right now. So we're just going to segue over to what I call the uh, noble round. It's just some quick Q&A. Um, so I see you used to be a football, uh, well, we call it soccer here, and rugby coach. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, of course. So uh, my football, so when I, um, I was a big football player, soccer player when I was younger, and uh, I still play now as well, albeit everyone else is a lot faster than me and better than me. And, uh, and my son at the time, he's, he's eight years old now. And um, when he was just getting into things, he was five years old. And I thought, well, actually, let's get involved with it and let's see. And I, I really enjoy I really enjoy doing it. I really enjoy coaching. I mean, for the first two years of that, I'd say it's like herding cats because you've got these little children boys and girls just running around and they're just all chasing after the ball honey potting as we call it um but they're having the best time in the world and actually your job is just to be there to allow them that space just to be kids and do stuff and i think i fell into the trap of 
trying to coach them in tactics or whatever far too early. But as they've got a bit older and they do listen to instruction a bit more, well, <laughs> whether they listen or not is, is up for debate. Um, but they, you can see them start to really develop as players. And I find that incredibly um, rewarding. Same goes for, for rugby as well. Um, I, I've, I've actually recently stepped away from coaching rugby. But exactly the same thing again. I want to be um, part of my child experiencing these things, whether he or obviously I've got a daughter as well, but I don't coach her team, so I can't speak for her seeing them kind of build their skills and build their way in which they interact with people is is really, really rewarding. And one of the things that we're quite big on now in, in the UK is, uh, certainly in the school system, is you build the athlete. You don't build specialism in an early sport. You build the athlete and you build up, um, you know, different skills and different ways to talk and work with people. And it's, it's very interesting to see that kind of happen before your eyes. Yeah, my um, my youngest son used to play soccer and basketball. And uh, to your point, when they were when he was young, six seven years old, all the kids would run after the ball. And then eventually, as they get older, they learn the discipline of playing the sport, and they learn how to think in terms of to look at different situations and actually plan ahead or prepare for it and and know what to do. So there's mm. obviously good things to do and not so good things to do. And then when you do something that doesn't work out, how to recoup from that. So good for you for, mm. uh, for coaching. It's not easy. No, certainly not. <laughs> but I enjoy it. I love it. I think when I'm out there on the sidelines on a Saturday morning, I, I don't think of anything else. It's, it's one of the highlights of my week. So talk to me also about, I also noticed you uh, mentor young marketers um, in your former industry. That also must be rewarding. It is. Yeah. I think it kind of talks to some of the points I was making earlier in that I feel like I've, I've got a lot of experience in that industry and there's still um, an itch I want to scratch, as it were, in, in that old industry. And I think that gives me a good opportunity to, to do it. Um, and, you know, often... The, the problems that come across my desk or over the computer screen as it often is I've I've seen in some form or another and, and it's quite nice to be able to kind of see what they would would want to do and then offer them a perspective on how they might want to do it and that's quite a nice refreshing counterpoise from coaching where obviously you don't give the answers but you allow people space to do that but it, it allows me to actually do that bit where I can say well actually having been there and done that these are a couple of the things that you could do Perhaps this one might work better. What sits best with you? So it kind of bridges the work, those two um, those two worlds, and and I enjoy doing it because it you know it's an industry I still miss. I spent so long there, and um, it's uh, it's a good way to get back into it without having to go knee deep back into the stuff I used to do. Perfect. So uh, Steve, just before we go, how can people reach you if they'd like to learn more? Yeah, well, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, either Steve Jeffries, that's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S, a bit of an odd spelling. Um, my business is called Your Shift or, or makeyourshift.co.uk and my email is steve at makeyourshift.co.uk. Okay, I'll put that in the show notes so people can reach you. Steve, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. No problem at all. Thank you so much for having me on, Jason. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please like and rate us and spread the word. 
Do you have any questions or suggestions or are you an HR leader that has great stories and advice to share? Then send me a note at podcast at noblesearchgroup.com. That's podcast at n-o-b-l-e searchgroup.com.